Bankless Nation, it is the Merge Friday of September. David, what time is it? The Merge o'clock? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, it's time for the Friday Bankless Weekly Roll-Up, where we cover the entire weekly news in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor because it's Merge Week this week. We are merged, no longer future tense, now past tense. Uh, and so grab your coffee, because that is what we are going to be covering, uh, the merge and so many more things that happened in the last seven days. But mostly, mostly the merge, though. Mostly the mostly merge. the merge. Yeah, we got We're gonna talk about that a lot. Um, last week was the last weekly roll up on proof of work. Yes. This week is the first weekly roll off roll up completely on proof of stake. As it this goes. podcast did not consume any energy in the production of this podcast. <laughs> not sure that's totally true, no, but that's, that's but not, Ethereum is now uh, my Ethereum node is now consuming less energy than this podcast takes to create. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's a fun fact. That is a fun fact. How are you feeling, man? Because so um, you, I, I got some naps in between. Like yeah. I woke up for the merge, middle of the night for me. It By the way, it happened at the worst possible time worst, for East Coasters. I was, I was upset. <laughs> I, put out a tweet, was like, I put out a tweet yesterday. I said, hey, can we delay the merge for a more like reasonable hour? <laughs> well, and you don't get to decide unless you're a miner, basically, uh -huh. right? That's yeah. the, the only power to decide. But I mean, it was looking pretty good the last few weeks. It was, you know. 8 a.m. in the morning, something yeah. like this, East Coast time. That would have been perfect. Yeah. As it happened, it got, it got up to 11 p.m. East Coast time, which was it, was gonna be great. When was the exact time? I can't remember. I woke up at like 1:20 or 1:30 or something in the morning East my time, and it happened between that and like 2:30, like, I dude, believe. I think it was like 2:30 to 2:45 in the morning. Yeah. 2:30 uh -huh. <sighs> to 2:45 in the morning. Sad. Uh, but. I mean, there was a lot of energy on that call, yeah, even totally. for like folks in the U.S. who yeah. are East Coast time. And uh, of course, the, the call was attended by everyone from around the world. What mm -hmm. a surreal experience this was to, to witness. And how many people were on the, the call itself, David? Uh, attending the call, like in the actual Zoom, it was something like 40 to 50 people. Uh, we had a peak of people watching of almost 50,000. But by the time wow. I woke up in the morning, it was over a quarter million. That's absolutely incredible. The biggest event in crypto. We'll talk about that. A few other things we're going to cover. Inflation. That was the news in macro markets. But is it really that bad? The S&P stocks seem to think it is. We talk about what we think. Also, a crypto founder has been issued an arrest warrant. That happened this week as well. Hmm. We're going to tell you which one in the roll-up. Can you guess? There are, a few. <laughs> there are a few you could be thinking about right there. But as always, make sure if you enjoy the weekly roll-ups that you like this wherever you are listening. Subscribe, of course, on the podcast or YouTube. And if you're listening to the podcast, write us a review. Rate the episode. That's how we get up to the top of the charts. All right, David, let's get into the markets this week, starting with Daddy Bitcoin. Up or down on the week, David? Yeah, Bitcoin actually made it up on the week. Uh, so it is up 2.5% uh, from $19,300 uh, $19, to $19,850. So a modest 2.5% bump on the week. That's actually really impressive given the mm -hmm. week that was, I mean, yeah. down in stocks and uh, I think down in ETH price yeah. as of now, as of recording, things were pretty flat post-merge. There was no, there's really no volatility, neither up nor down after right. a successful merge. Until we, we said it. <laughs> until we said that. This is what, So we did a post-merge recap and I think the ETH bulls were all commenting right. on the lack of volatility in this market. And then what's this? Big red candle. What price mm -hmm. are we at this week right yeah, now? Yeah, we 
We started the week at 16.50. We are down 8.7%. And you see these two big red candles. That one in the middle of the week is the macro red candle where the inflation numbers came out. And so we, we tanked from like 17.50 down to uh, about 1,500. Uh, then we reclimbed right into the merge at up to 16.50. But then right as we started recording this, uh, we go all the way down to $1,500. So we are overall ethers down eight and a half percent on the week oof i really by the time this episode is released i'm i really have no idea no idea. like this could recover the candle could reverse we could be down further who knows i mean sometimes i i just wonder if we tend to overanalyze things this could just be market noise traders playing trader games like people unwinding an eth pow trade who the hell knows yeah exactly um we'll look at this you know on the month type basis and that'll be a clear indication although i will say eth BTC ratio, it was um, doing well last week in favor of ETH. Now it is uh, back down. So Bitcoin, a very strong recovery on the ratio. What's that looking like this week? We really ended last week at like the top tick of the recent ETH BTC uh, ratio move. So we ended last week at 0.085. We are currently down to 0.075. Uh, currently at 76, excuse me. Um, and so, but we're, we're bouncing between 0.075, 0.085. Uh, so down 10% on the week. So bad week. Uh, but we will see as this thing goes into the future. Yeah. What's interesting about the ratio is it's probably for you. you I, I would consider you now, David, you've come out as a ratio bull, a big I'm ratio a, bull. I'm mainly long the ratio. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And when you say long, you're talking about multi-year time horizon. I've, I've heard you talk about like five years. So like my time horizon for ETH is like five to 10 years at minimum, at least, right? Actually, for me, similar to Bitcoin, um, I think you have a, a similarly long time horizon for the ETH Bitcoin ratio. Uh, yeah. At what point, like, do you think the thesis will have, uh, you know, played completed, out. played out? Yeah, like minimum something like 18 months. And I'm really going for my, my price target is what I'm calling the lapping or the lapping. <laughs> uh, so like, you know, you have the flipping where Ether flips Bitcoin, but I'm planning on unwinding this ETH BTC position at like the lapping, where their ether is like two times the Bitcoin price or two times the Bitcoin market cap. No clue when that take when that's gonna happen, but it's gonna be a multi-year long endeavor, of course. But the the whole argument is that minor sell pressure is fundamentally bearish, and proof of stake hodl pressure is fundamentally bullish. So time, like Hal Press said on our show. Time is on Ether's side. Time is a tailwind for Ether and a headwind for Bitcoin. And so like while these short-term moves like always just make no sense, over the long term, the sell pressure into proof of work is a headwind that Bitcoin has to fight against that Ether doesn't have to fight against. What's really interesting about that is, uh, do you remember the episode we did with um, Arthur Hayes? Right. Mm-hmm. And like the concept we, we kind of coined, I don't know if this is a concept anyone else uses, but like Arthur to us was a thesis driven trader. Mm-hmm. Th- this to me, David, feels like you're being a thesis driven trader yes. here. Yes. In that like, right. this is a trade, definitely. This is a trade. Yeah. yeah. But, so it's something I have to sell. I have to press the sell button eventually if I yeah. want to get my ETH back. Yeah. Exactly. So it's David, David's playing a trade here, but it's not a kind of a narrative trade. It's not a short term um, arb right. like trade or some other sort of trade. It's like a trade that you think is backed by some fundamentals, yes. and that fundamental is about all about um, flows into yep. and out of the asset class. Yep. Um, well, let's talk about flows into the global <laughs> cryptocurrency market cap. David. I think you mean out of Ryan. <laughs> oh, uh oh. Are we yeah. down on the week? Yeah, we're down on the week. Uh, start of the week at one point two eight trillion. We are down to 1.009 trillion. So lost a few billion on the week. 
few billion on the week, but that was up last week, maybe artificially yeah. so with, with Bitcoin kind of lagging as uh, non-Bitcoin coins emerged. Mm -hmm. um, David, the last week we have been talking about the ETH merge date. The last oh, yeah. thing we will show here is question of halves the ETH merged yet. And the answer to that question is... Yes. Yes, it has. <laughs> Binary, yes or no? The answer is yes. There's Ethereum a website. There's a website you can go to if you want to confirm that. <laughs> Check that. Hasethmerge.com. Has <laughs> in big letters, the answer to that question is yes. yes. We've successfully merged. We'll get into that a little bit more further in the episode. But David, before we do, we should talk about macro right here. Mm. I think the question in macro markets is inflation is up. That sounds pretty bad. Stocks tumbled on the week. Here's a CNBC headline. Dow tumbles 1,200 points for the worst day since June 2020 after hot inflation report. June 2020, of course, was a day, I'm sure that was in the thick of the, the COVID, no COVID right, uh, yeah. scare. So we're having a similar day here after a hot inflation report. Let me just recap the numbers from that inflation uh, report. Please. So we, let's go back to June. So annualized inflation in June, the numbers, the official numbers, 9.1%. And if you recall, that was the highest since 1981. So we had a 40-year high. So no question in anyone's mind that inflation was, was running hot in June in the previous 12 months preceding it. July, 8.5%, down a little bit, but still up. Too close for comfort to the double-digit territory. August, the numbers we just got last week, the reason for this market tumble, 8.3%. So you'd think that that's down from July, David, from on an annualized basis. But apparently, it was still larger than the market was anticipating. The average analyst expectation for inflation was 8.1%. And this came in okay. at 8.3%. So okay. 200 basis points over on inflation. 0.2% over expectations. And that's that right. sent the market tumbling? That is apparently what people are crediting for the reason the market is tumbling. So this is the headline from CNBC. over expectation inflation sent the market tumbling that hard. This is what mainstream financial media is reporting as a hot inflation report. But I do think, David, we have to dig into these numbers a little bit further, right? Because so first of all, let me just say 8.3% still sounds really high. Like, right. don't we want to be in the... Four percent, right. ideally the two percent area, like two to four. Maybe that's some of the new normal. But you actually can't look at this uh, from a you know twelve month annualized basis because the the twelve month is really a lagging indicator. Here's a tweet from Tom Schmidt. Do you want to read this out? Tell us what this means. Yeah, Tom says not to be that guy again, but CPI is actually dropping month over month. I really do think that year over year is a very confusing way to report inflation, especially with the spikes and volatility we've had over the past two years. And there's a chart here showing inflation going up and up and up and up and up until June. And then it hits like, well, this looks like a ceiling. And we've been going very marginally down ever since. But the fact that we're not going up seems to be a decent trend over the last three months, according to this chart, which is coming out of the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. So this is Tom's large point, larger point, which is you can't really look at annualized numbers when we're dealing with this level of inflation volatility right. because of all of the, the craziness that we've seen with, with COVID right. and you know economic sanctions and wars and all of these things. Like these are sort of unprecedented time. 
times, and it doesn't make sense to look at 12 months in total, what we should maybe also be looking at is the monthly total. And inflation in August, just the month of August, not, not the, the last 12 months uh, of August and preceding it, in August it was 0.1%. And if you analyze, annualize that out, multiply that number by 12 months, right, to get the new annualized number, you get 1.2%. That's okay, a so lot. Just, just to put those again into perspective. So August prices of, of assets or whatever consumables that we measure inflation with is up 8.3% year over year. But in the last month, at prices of like food, gas is only up 0.1%, which is not high, which is actually low. And so I think the big question is, uh, if inflation has peaked, what happens if the Fed over adjusts too far? Mm. You know, it's like it's it kind of like you're steering a car. It's starting. It's starting to wobble. You, you turn to avoid something and then you, you swipe back too far. You overcorrect in the opposite direction. And now you're in a, another lane of traffic. Right. That lane of traffic might actually be deflationary forces. OK, mm. this is a, a tweet from Elon Musk saying a major Fed rate hike risks deflation. That's what he's talking about. If the Fed overcorrects too much in the other direction, and I think the market is really tussling with this right now. And I mean, so are the central bankers, of course. And I'm not, it's not very clear that they know what they're de doing behind the steering wheel at this point. And I guess there's precedent for this because the whole reason why we have inflation in the first place is because the Fed was too slow to increase interest rates in the first place. So it would go, it would continue to say that like, well, the Fed's also gonna be too slow to stop tightening as well. Like, I feel like that's an easy Occam's razor take to have. Uh, it definitely is. They just might not be prepared for the, the whiplash of, of the times that we're living in. And Ryan, that's perhaps why we should have an algorithmically controlled monetary system and not a human controlled monetary system. Speaking of um, algorithmically controlled monetary system, Ryan, do you know what happened this last week? Oh, did some algorithmically controlled money system just get an upgrade? Yeah, did our money just get a software update? We're <laughs> going to talk about that, how money is getting software updates these days. And of course, we're talking about the merge. So we're going to be we're going to leave the Fed behind us. and We're going to go into the future talking about the Ethereum merge right after we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Merged. Merged. We have officially merged, David. This We're is, merged? This is a tweet from Vitalik Buterin, just some guy on the internet. And we <laughs> finalized, he said. He's talking about the finalization of the proof-of-stake chain. Happy merge, all. This is a big moment for the Ethereum ecosystem. Everyone who helped make the merge happen should feel very proud today. David, as we're recording, this tweet is sitting at 170,000 likes. That's this a lot is of likes. echoing around the internet making this a historic event. I think earlier, David, you called this the most historic event that crypto has ever seen. Maybe yes. not the most important milestone, right? You'd hearken back to like the launch of Bitcoin as a right. more important milestone, or even the launch of Ethereum as a more important milestone. But an event is different. An event is something mm -hmm. the entire world is watching, something that the community is anticipating. And I think this was the biggest event we've ever seen in crypto. Right. Certainly, like how many people witnessed the launch of Bitcoin, like under five? How many people witnessed the launch of Ethereum? 10 to 15,000. How many people watched the live stream on the Ethereum Foundation YouTube last night? A quarter million people. 
And that's just the people that watch the stream. So like a ton of people just watched and just watched Ethereum go through its transition to proof of stake. So this is the biggest event in crypto history in those terms, like the most number of eyeballs, the most number of, uh, amount of hype. Uh, and Ryan, it went off without a hitch. The move, the merge <laughs> was so incredibly smooth. It was absolutely successful. And when, and just to clarify a term here, Vitalik is saying, and we finalized. That's actually a technical term. So the merge happens as in we hit that TTD number, that total terminal difficulty that tells all of the Ether uh, proof of work, Ethereum main chain, Ethereum execution layer clients to start to stop paying attention to proof of work and start paying attention to proof of stake. That's the merge. But the merge isn't complete until we finalize it. And so at, that's about six minutes later. And we need that finalization to lock in proof of stake because once a part, once an epoch in Ethereum is finalized, that means to go backwards in proof of stake, you need to slash a huge proportion of Ether out there. And so it's one thing to merge, but it's really like final when the Ethereum proof of stake chain finalizes the execution layer. Uh, and so that's really the celebration uh, with that Vitalik's going for us. There is now the full weight of Ethereum proof of stake behind the Ethereum execution layer. So now going backwards on the chain, result more than six minutes, results in billion dollars of slashing. And that is the economic security that we have all been excited about and why the merge is such a big deal. Billions of dollars of economic security. And David, I was looking at this earlier. Did you know that if you add up ETH, all the ERC-20s, all of the NFTs, we just forklifted a $400 billion economy. That is the size of Casual. the Ethereum economy. And we just swapped that in real time. We swapped out the consensus engine, proof of work to proof of stake. And of course, one thing that the world might notice, and I think mainstream is taking note of, is the massive electricity consumption decrease. This is a tweet from Vitalik. He's quoting Justin Drake uh, with a figure here. The merge will reduce worldwide electricity consumption by 0.2%. 0.2% energy. Crazy that it shows up. Yeah. Electricity use might have just been diminished uh, last night with this mm -hmm. event unfolding. And of course, we reported on this last week, but uh, Google knows about the merge. So if you type in the merge into Google, there's now past tense happened on September 15th, nine hours, 54 minutes ago. And instead of two bears walking towards each other, one black, one white, there's now a panda, very happy, cute looking panda holding the ETH logo. So Google knows about the merge. The world knows about the merge, Ryan. Like is this, this thing is echoing everywhere. It's super cool that uh, Google did that, by the way. I'm just, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's awesome to see. Apparently there are a ton of Ethereum, a ton of even bankless fans in the Google community. So if any yeah. Google employees are, are listening right now, shout we out Google. It. Nice we move here. Uh, yeah. It's good to see the solidarity. Uh, this is actually a historic, historic moment, not just for crypto, but for the entirety of the, the internet as well. Um, David, we're looking at a, a tweet about Bortle.wtf. What, what is this? Bortle was that website that everyone is looking at to predict when the merge is actually happening, right? It was the, like, it's how we 
knew when the merge was going to happen. And as we got closer and closer and closer, that thing just got hugged to death. Uh, <laughs> so the numbers were that the Bortle.wtf website was free, refreshed over 13 million times from 7 million unique IP addresses. Uh, absolutely crazy. It, it crashed at the end. Uh, and so then I had to go and I, I had both Bortle and ultrasound.money open and then Bortle crashed. So I went to look at ultrasound.money and then moments later, ultrasound.money went down. Uh, because like the, maybe the, you were displaying it. This is, are you talking about on the, the live stream? The official I mean, live stream? I wasn't displaying mine, but just like everyone was looking at the same like four websites that were telling yeah. you when the merge was happening and like one by one by one, they all went down. Yeah, I got hugged to death. Huh? Yeah. Um, th this is, these are some images as it was happening. David, what are we looking at here? Yeah, this is the Ethereum Foundation offices in Denver. Uh, and we have Danny Ryan on the far left facing away from the camera. And we've got Tim Bako at the bottom. People just like sitting on the ground, like watching one TV. There's Austin Griffith holding up the phone on the couch on the right. There's Kevin Owaki in the bottom uh, right corner. Uh, a few other people that I, I don't remember, uh, don't recognize, but just a ton of people, yeah, a ton of these uh, Ethereum development teams, people really close to the heart of Ethereum, all just like sitting around waiting for the merge to happen. And then here is a tweet from Raul Jordan out of Prismatic Labs. And he says, when you meet on Reddit and four years later reduce the world's energy consumption by half a percent, some fluctuation on the numbers here. And of course, this is Raul Jordan and Preston Van Loon, two co-founders of Prismatic who met on Reddit. Uh, I can kind of relate to this, you know, meeting co-founders on the Internet. <laughs> uh, and they're celebrating the, uh, the transition to proof of stake. Uh, these guys have just been putting their blood, sweat and tears into a fantastic Ethereum client out of Prismatic Labs. And so I'm sure these guys are just over the moon right now. Pre Preston, I know particularly, has been itching to merge for a very long time. So congrats to both Raul and Preston here. Yeah, he's absolutely been uh, driving this forward. It's funny that um, how Web2 facilitates kind of the, the meeting of, of founders and, and right. minds uh, in Web3. It's really an enabler of Web3. Like they met on Reddit, you and I mm -hmm. met on Twitter. I mean, so many people are like using web two tools, using the internet itself to build out the property rights layer, the next layer of the internet. Um, that's cool. The other thing I I'd say about uh, the developers and I would always remind folks listening to th thank your developers. You know, have you, th have you, thanked, have you thanked a de developer today? <laughs> seriously, have you thanked a core developer? This is my thank you for these two individuals, especially uh, because I remember when they stepped up to the plate in 2018, when it seemed like no one else was, I, I replied this under their tweet as a thank you. I remember I thought ETH2 would never ship. Then Prismatic Labs stepped up and said, we're doing this. No funding guarantees. You guys just started building. It was such a confidence boost to the ETH community during a difficult time. That was an epic bear market in 2018. <laughs> and my sincere thanks to Raul and Preston Van Loom and the Prismatic team and all of the other client teams out there that made this happen, we wouldn't be here without you guys. We would have nothing to talk about, yeah. Uh, so here, here is a, an interesting chart from uh, quant.com uh, where if you click on one of these, you can just see the Ethereum hash rate drop to zero. Oh, wow. Like that, that is that's <laughs> going from a, it's like you know, a lunar very price high chart. number. Yeah, that's, that's a, it's, a, it's a price chart you don't want to see. <laughs> but no, that, that, that purple line, that blue line is uh, the hash power of Ethereum. And you can see it start to dwindle off up to the moment of the merge. And then the merge happens and it just it just goes to zero. This absolutely goes to zero. There's a, the, the subreddit R Ether Mining, which was actually a subreddit I've frequented quite often back in my mining days. And here's a guy playing bagpipes while he shuts off his uh, his mining rigs, which I thought was just hilarious. <laughs> there still are some at-home um, miners, huh? A few of them? Yeah. Uh -huh. This yeah. looks like a no, basement somewhere. 
You know, a decent number of hobbyist miners left in the world, even uh, even if their margins have gotten compressed. Uh, if you haven't ever like gone down the mining rabbit hole, just cruising down our ether mining, it's kind of like an interesting uh, an interesting uh, expedition into the world of uh, of mining. Uh, but now it is a relic of the past. Yes, the this, your services are no longer needed, and yeah, the miners' watch has ended. Will need to go somewhere else. Uh, essentially, mm-hmm. the holders of ether now become the miners of yeah. the Ethereum network through proof of stake. Um, this is a tweet from Hasu. What are we looking at? Yeah, so as the miners power down and shut off, MEV Boost is powering on. So Hazu says, MEV Boost is live. So now we're waiting for a validator to request a block using the new builder API. And just a quick refresher on to what MEV, MEV Boost is, is that building a block is can be intensive. You can do like naive block building is when you just like take in a bunch of transactions that have a bunch of high fees, or you can recruit the sources of a professional block builder that can extract some MEV from you and hopefully some some optimum non-malicious MEV, which is what MEV Boost is doing. Uh, and so uh, as soon as the merge happened, MEV Boost went live saying, hey, you guys can, as, as, as stakers, as validators, can feel free to request blocks from MEV Boost using the new builder API. And Hazu's tweeting here saying, we're waiting waiting for validators to request blocks. Uh, and then a few moments later, uh, if you scroll down, Ryan, he goes, "There's it happened, just landed, landed in slot 47 million, the first ever block produced by MEV Boost. Uh, apparently there was also a war room with the Flashbots team. Uh, and then right after that first block was created by MEV Boost, a second block was created after that. So MEV Boost, as miners shut down, MEV Boost is up and running. So congrats to the Flashbots team as well. If you do not know what MEV Boost is or what David was talking about just then, we've got some resources for you. So there's an episode that we put out with Flashbots on MEV Boost. Go check that out. Also, another episode with Matt Cutler. You can Google, just type in bankless Matt Cutler, and you'll get that episode and uh, learn all about MEV Boost. It's an important addition to the protocol. David, let's take a look at Ultrasound Money. This is uh, oh, I've been I've been itching to go here. It's so good. <laughs> it's be- so good. This is see, the best website now. To <laughs> see in a post-merge world all of the stats. This is basically a dashboard of Ethereum's issuance, monetary mm-hmm. policy, right? Ether the assets, a dashboard for all of these th- things. Maybe we'll highlight a few things that my eye is immediately drawn towards the t- the top. Of course, we are post-merged mm-hmm. uh, and the supply change since the merge went live, is negative 203 ETH. I'm sure by the time people are listening to this, this will be far higher than it is right now. But what this means is, ever since the merge was deployed earlier today, at the time of recording, we have been burning more Ether than we've been issuing. So Ether, as an asset, is officially ultrasound money burning more than it's issuing, it's deflating. The supply is not increasing for the first time ever. Supply of Ether is actually going down. What does this mean, David? It really is nice to see the first, where are we at, like 10 hours of post-merge Ether being net deflationary. Uh, I remember checking this when I went to bed and we were down to like negative 80 ETH. Uh, and there's actually been a moment inside of the last 10 hours where actually supply has gone up. So I think we we immediately started burning like rapid, like right after the merge because of all the activity. I think we went down to like negative 100 ETH and then we went up to up to negative 70 ETH. But then we started burning again because gas fees have gone up. Uh, but what really draw, uh, draws my eye, Ryan, is back up to that chart. Just look at that slope 
up to the merge. Look how steep that slope is. Yes. Uh, and that is ether issuance out of proof of work. And then the merge happens and it, the slope just stops. So it actually straight up looks like a mountain peak. Uh, and so a lot, of, a lot of burning right at the start, a little bit of issuance, and then a lot like uh, something happened starting a few hours ago. Um, and, and we are definitely net deflationary bigly. Uh, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be interesting to watch. Can we maintain that net, net deflation moving forward into the future for how long? Uh, uh, but like, really, this is the time to, to really look at this website and like look at these ultrasound money mechanisms. As long as gas prices are above 15 guay average, we will be burning mm. more ETH than we're issuing. That's what ultrasound money says as well. They've, they've run the numbers around this. Uh, total ETH supply is 120 million 500. Total ETH supply is 125. <laughs> Total ETH supply is 120,520,000 and some odd ETH. And you wonder how high ETH supply will actually get. I know uh, Justin Drake has predicted at times that we won't ever get beyond 122 million. Right? So just, you know, 2 million more. It could also be the case that we never get beyond 121 million. Right. So we don't know where yeah. this is going to start and stop. The last thing I'll say on this, I think we'll be doing more on ETH monetary policy in the future. But um, if you want a friend in your life, maybe with a suit, somebody who's kind of financially minded, who looks at their assets and actually analyzes them, if you want them to understand the mechanics of Ether as an asset, send them to Bankless, of course, give them download some, some of our episodes on this also send them to the ultrasound.money website. If they understand all of the numbers on this page and where they came from, I don't know how you can't be bullish after right. understanding all of this. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and so th that is the place to send folks, particularly in this post-merge world. Uh, and as we are recording, something is happening on Ethereum that is sending gas prices through the absolute roof right now, relative roof. Gas is up to 78 guay, 79 guay. And it's not because Ether is uh, dumping. So something's happening on Ethereum. We started this segment at 203 Ether burnt. Uh, we are up to 214 Ether burnt. So we have burnt 11 Ether since starting to talk about this ultrasound.money website. Uh, and I think if we hang around here for a second, you're going to, there it goes, 214, 200, 218. We just burnt four more Ether since I started this sentence. <laughs> this is so awesome. Uh, and here's Hazu saying, ETH is now the commodity money with the lowest rate of supply inflation. Uh, it's the number one. If you are a believer in stock to flow, the Ether stock to flow number is like five, 10 times higher than Bitcoins right now. It's like breaking, breaking that metric. There is no commodity money with a lower rate of inflation than Ether. So if that makes you bullish, you should be bullish. And here's a chart from uh, Martin Koppelman uh, that is showing the block times of the last 100 blocks. And you can clearly see when the merge comes in. Proof of work, when a uh, proof of work averages, uh, you know, pre-merge, averages one block every 13.6 seconds, but it averages that. And so it fluctuates around that all the time. And there was a, there was a, a block that took, you know, something like, I think two or three minutes up until the merge. Some blocks happen as quick as like two or three seconds. But then you see the merge happen and this very organized uh, proof of stake system allows for blocks to happen extremely regularly every 12 seconds. Uh, and so uh, that random block production that happens 13.6 seconds on average is now happening every 12 seconds with no fluctuation. There is, is that, cool. there is that one little spike where somebody missed a block. And so that went from 12 seconds to 24 seconds. But that was like irregular, right? Every other block is at 12 seconds.
This looks like the uh, the heartbeat of an entirely different organism, you know, yeah. from proof of work to, to proof of stake. Mm-hmm. Um, the pattern is completely different. Also, David, you were uh, helping to host the live stream as proof of as proof of stake was was going live and as as the merge was actually happening. And uh, you, you're saying earlier there's between forty to fifty thousand concurrent uh, watchers as as the merge was was occurring over you know quarter million total views so far and you had an opportunity to explain the merge right. in like one minute to all of these people how did that feel yeah it's like uh, I, I, when we were organizing the uh, call they're like david do you want to explain what the merge is and i'm like i have been preparing <laughs> for this my entire life yes <laughs> yes i do want to explain the merge in the most simple reductive way possible uh bankless listeners tell me how i did because here here we go proof of stake component of the beacon chain is like bumping out the proof of work miners for the ethereum the main ethereum consensus uh and so this merge what we are all here for today on this stream is to watch the event where the beacon chain the proof of stake consensus of the beacon chain becomes the actual consensus of the main ethereum chain and all of the various clients, uh, there are many clients of Ethereum. There's different, um, there, instead of one canonical Ethereum, there's a five, six, many different clients of Ethereum. Uh, and each one of these are syncing with each other and the beacon chain to all uh, listen to the beacon chain all at the same time, all at the same, uh, what is the TTD number, total terminal difficulty, a very large number. And once we hit that number, all of a sudden the main Ethereum chain will start to listen to the beacon chain instead of the miners. And, in that moment, we will have merged with the beacon chain and become proof of stake. So Fizz, that is what the merge is. Uh, and that is why we are all here today on this live stream. David, that was great, man. I think you did a great job there. Um, there's also been Thanks, some increasing- I've done it a few times. <laughs> yeah, yes, you have. Bankless has trained you for this. Um, there's also been increasing mainstream coverage. So maybe we should read a few headlines. The New York Times, can the merge save crypto? The headline of their article, this is The Verge. Ethereum just completed the merge. Here's how much energy it's saving. The subtitle is A Step into a More Sustainable Future for Cryptocurrencies. This is CBS News. Ethereum's merge is live. Here's what you need to know. I love in the beginning of this segment, I think they are uh, showing an Elizabeth Warren tweet, maybe um, concerned about environmental impacts of cryptocurrencies, which goes away in the merge world. Here's CNBC. Ethereum's massive software upgrade just went live. Here's what it does. David, we are breaking out into into mainstream. Like we said earlier, this is the biggest event I think crypto has seen and the entire world has been watching. Yeah, and of course, as we predicted, they're all talking about energy reduction, which is a valid thing to talk about. Uh, The energy reduction is 0.2% of all global electricity consumption. That's massive. Uh, and so, I mean, it's not the things that we get really excited about, but to each their own. If that's what's going to grab people's attention, uh, that's that's what's going to grab people's attention. Absolutely. It is a, it is a vital improvement. Um, so if you are wondering what the projected APR is, this is, of course, some pre-merge projections, but I mm-hmm. think could be fairly close to the money. We'll see how closely they live up to those expectations. 6.1% APR is the estimate put out by a Flashbots report based on the median estimated Ethereum staking yield given block space demand over the last six months. And this number, David, includes all of the block rewards for validators. It also includes MEV. 
So 6.1% might be a guess at where we start. Now, whether that holds, whether that goes up or down, my guess is it probably heads in the direction of down unless blocks-based demand drastically increases and then maybe that number goes up. The reason it would head down is because sort of anticipate more and more people will stake. Remember, staking at this point, guys, is it's a one-way ticket. Right. So you go in, you can't come back out, so it has to increase uh, <laughs> over time. It's not going in the other direction. Um, but if block-based demand, MEV fees, these sorts of things um, perform even better, we get kind of another bull run for block-based demand, then maybe this number goes up as well. And of course, David Michal has another website for us to take a look at. He's, of course, the guy that created CryptoFees.info, MoneyPrinters.info, Layer2Fees.info. You've seen us use his websites on the rollup all the time. There's now SimpleStakers.info, which is telling you all the different ways you can get APY on staked ETH derivative tokens. So Coinbase's CB ETH, Anchor, Lido, StakeWise, Rocket Pool, all of the APYs you can get by holding uh, that staked ETH token. Uh, but the, he's also included an, an extra little an extra little bit of data, which is also really helpful because you know these tokens, the Coinbase CB ETH token, actually trades against Ether, not necessarily one-to-one. Uh, mm -hmm. So Coinbase CB Ether is trading against one Ether at 0.97, meaning there's a 3% discrepancy. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he, David Mihal has also added the dislocation of the staked ETH derivative tokens versus Ether itself. And so if you uh, buy that, point, that Coinbase CB Ether for 0.97 ETH for one ETH, you actually get an effective APY of 7.95% because you're buying that staked ETH token as a, at a discount, at a 3% discount. Really yeah. useful website. I'm wondering where he's getting this APY from because I'm, I'm wondering if the uh, actual uh, transaction fees are actually coming into this uh, this website because uh, this kind of just seems like issuance. Uh, I'll have to ping David and, and ask. Yeah, the, the other thing I think it's very important if you're evaluating where to stake, uh, of course, is APY is only one side of the equation. The other mm -hmm. side of the equation is risk. What you actually want to understand is your risk-adjusted awards rewards. And none of these APY websites, David Mihal or anyone else, can't can't really assess quantitatively the risk of some of these centralized staking providers. So um, just know that there's some risk. Listen to our episode with Justin Drake on censorship resistance if you want to find out more about that. Well, David, I think that wraps up the merge. This has been a historic week. Mm. We, of course, are very glad you could join us, Bankless Nation, in celebrating the Ethereum merge. Never going to happen again. You it's only a once in a lifetime. merge once, YOMO. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but if you are still itching for more merge content, there are some live streams and some videos that are available on the Bankless YouTube if you missed them while we did them live. But of course... Coming up on Tuesday, I'm so excited for this one, Ryan. We are hosting Danny Ryan and Tim Bako, the two lead coordinators behind this whole entire merge effort on the State of the Nation. Guess what the title of that episode is going to be, Ryan? Uh, I think I know what it is. Yeah. It's merged. Merged. Yes. That, of course it is. Uh, so we're going to talk to these guys about like their journey to get to where we are today. And of course... What margarita they're drinking or pina colada they're drinking as they <laughs> take celebrate. a very well-deserved rest from a bunch of just, I'm sure, frust frustrating and, and exciting times in Ethereum. Uh, and then coming up after that on the Monday podcast, the week after that, we have Vitalik for the next steps for Ethereum because there's still plenty of work to do. While it does feel like 
we got something finished. It also feels like this is just the beginning for Ethereum and the optimism and excitement around the broader Ether community, I think has got to be at all time highs, Ryan. I mean, how do you feel? I'm absolutely thrilled, David. It, it goes to kind of maybe I'll save some of this to the end of, of what I'm excited about. But this uh, Ethereum community has really shown its strength and shown its mettle. And uh, I'm excited to be able to ship this important upgrade. I think it confirms a lot of the like the ETH thesis and the bankless thesis that we've been talking about so much on our show over the past couple of years. Yeah. Speaking of Vitalik, though, coming up next... Vitalik somehow found the time to go to Ukraine. Crazy. Like just crazy before guy. Merge Week. We're going to talk about that. Also, Starbucks putting reward points on the blockchain. What's happening? What does that mean? And we tell you the crypto co-founder who's just been issued a warrant for arrest. All that and more coming up. First, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. So somehow during the the eve of the merge, the week or so before the merge, Vitalik had the, had the time and the and the balls to go into the middle of a war zone uh, to go to a Kiev tech summit. It's also really nice to see that, that uh, Kiev is hosting things like tech summits. Uh, but then Vitalik, of course, tweets saying, big thanks to the Kiev tech summit and everyone involved for the opportunity to visit an amazing and brave community in Ukraine that we all have a lot to learn from. Uh, and there's some pictures of here, him in Kiev uh, at the Kiev tech summit. I just want to emphasize, David, how badass this is of Vitalik. Okay, this is, he's going to a conference in Ukraine and it's wartime. And this was a hackathon that was hosted in a bomb shelter. And Vitalik both found the time and had the courage to fly over and talk to the developers in Ukraine. Um, I, I just think that's a such a stark contrast with a lot of the uh, individuals we, that we see in the crypto space who are here and I don't necessarily fault them. I mean, sometimes I do. So if you're scanning, if you're scamming someone, I fault you. But a lot of people aren't here for the mission. A lot of a lot of people are here for the for the money. Uh, they're here for the kind of the short the short term opportunity. Vitalik, it's been clear, has never been here for that purpose. And uh, you know, things like this prove it to us. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just surreal to to watch him like be like this like monk figure like walk around the world uh, as they're like some people in crypto have like four or five bodyguards vitalik is going with a single backpack to a to a war war zone absolutely crazy anyways uh, on the other side of the world uh polygon tweets out guess what's brewing today starbucks <laughs> unveils starbucks odyssey on nice. polygon a unique experience that enables you to earn and buy digital collectible stamps and unlock new and coveted coffee experiences. So basically, Web3, Starbucks is coming to Web3, Ryan, through a loyalty program allowing uh, customers and, and uh, Starbucks employees to purchase digital collectible stamps in the form of NFTs. Uh, and it's all gonna be done on Polygon. So loyalty token rewards on the blockchain? It's kind of cool. It's, uh, you know, brew, brew to earn, I think is what some people are, are calling this. Um, but, you know, here's a fun fact for you. Uh, I read this back in 2019. Did you know that that Starbucks is actually one of the largest, is like a stable coin giant? Mm -hmm. Like the Starbucks cards, for instance. Right. This is back in 2019. I'm sure they have more today. At $1.6 billion in Starbucks bucks, right? right. Which are basically like internal ledger stable coins. And so you kind of start with the NFTs and I wonder if that leads Starbucks into kind of like payment and stablecoin mm -hmm. issuance. And, you know, you could turn that Starbucks stablecoin into an ERC-20, couldn't right. you? 
I'm not okay, sure. So you're you're uh, you're making some real crypto terms out of these things just to make this real crystal yeah, clear. Yeah, yeah. What's going on here is there are 1.6 billion dollars of credits that people have purchased in like Starbucks cards. So like you you spend twenty dollars, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars to buy Starbucks points on a on a Starbucks card, right? And so that goes into a Starbucks bank account and they credit you with that thousand dollars or whatever you bought on your Starbucks card. Kind That's of a acting lot of like a bank. Thousand dollars, David. Right? Yes. Yeah. But and yes. so like they the Starbucks, Starbucks is getting a yield on the money that you have credited them. And instead of owing you a dollar liability, they owe you coffee liabilities. <laughs> right. And so they have all they have a hundred and one point six billion dollars in the bank and they owe that in coffee to their customers. It's just kind of a crazy model. It's like it goes to show like the larger and larger of a fintech or, or yeah, as you get larger and larger, no matter what your business is, you ultimately turn into a bank. Like yeah. Starbucks started selling coffee, but now it's just getting yield on customer deposits. Yeah. Kind they're, of crazy. They're, they're a coffee financing company. Yeah. That's how they are. <laughs> coffee financing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting. I, I do think that there's a role to play here, but anyway, to say like starting with NFTs, that's very cool and loyalty mm -hmm. points uh, and then maybe, maybe stable coins in the future as well. Um, but speaking of NFTs, David, mm -hmm. Solana NFTs are hitting all-time highs. They're yeah. kind of having a moment right now. What's going on? There was a big surge on Solana for NFT minting. Uh, so there were 300,000 mints on one day on September 7th. They spike out of nowhere. And I did like some two minutes of, of research to figure out what NFT drop this was. It doesn't seem to be like there was one particular drop. I could be wrong about that. So people that are more familiar with the Solana ecosystem can, can go check that from themselves. Um, but it just seems like there, it's like aggregate volume just surged for one day on Solana. Um, volume across all Solana marketplaces hit $11.5 million on September 6th. Um, cool. I, that's pretty impressive. I think Solana is getting definitely some uh, strong traction in the NFT community. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see where that goes next. Um, while in, the, in, in contrast, while Ethereum is merging and forsaking proof of work, abandoning proof of work for proof of stake, uh, a couple last week before before this happened, the White House apparently just issued an environmental report on the impact, criticizing the impact of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, saying that they could impede U.S. efforts to combat climate change. And this report, David, came out of the White House Office of Science and Technology, uh, and um, they said they recommended that the U.S. take action to mitigate the pollution tied to crypto production. Now. The report apparently stopped short of prescribing specific regulations, but this is definitely a shot across the bow for Bitcoin and the whole proof of work industry. Um, it's kind of not Ethereum's problem anymore in right. one way, because Ethereum is no longer proof of work, they're proof of stake. And I guess the Ethereum community could take a posture to just say, hey, it's not our problem. It's right. like proof of work's problem, Bitcoin's problem. And yet this does seem to be some sort of... Um, stifling or government in intervention on something that's happening in the free market. And I know there are different takes in the crypto community about this mm -hmm. and in the Ethereum community about this. What's your take? Do you think yeah. that there's a role for the federal government to like um, restrict use of energy in, in certain sectors or for specific reasons? Yeah, uh, no, definitely not. Uh, the government should not be determining what is good or bad use of energy. Yet at the same time, I am like empathetic to the argument that like energy is more and more and more precious these days. 
uh, especially as like, you know, the world population grows, global warming continues. Like we have to pick and choose our battles as to how we want our energy pointed. And that's, I feel like that's where this, uh, the white house office of science and technology is really coming from. It's like, yes, there's a limited supply of energy in the United States that we have. Uh, Bitcoin is using a decent chunk of it. Um, if Bitcoin grows, perhaps we should do something to make sure that there's more energy for other things as well. I understand that perspective, um, but never should there ever be some sort of ban against proof of work or should there be a statement as to who gets to consume what energy? Well, it's interesting, like the arbitrary nature of this. And I think proof of work advocates have, have talked about this before, just like why are you picking on proof of work? Right. I mean, di didn't you tell me we had a conversation earlier this morning and uh, you, you said some stat that um, that resonated with me is like, did you know YouTube uh, consumes more energy than Bitcoin? Right. I don't, I don't know. By, what, about, by about like 33% or so. Right, so what if the US government said, hey, YouTube is consuming too much energy. It's just a waste of time. These are dumb like cat videos right. and bankless podcasts. Like who cares? <laughs> Let's just if they turn say that bankless off. Podcasts, oh, turn it off. Turn it <laughs> yeah, off. it's like, it's like clearly useless. And so I don't um, think I, my, I don't, uh, my problem is not with some government policy around um, disincentivizing like, or incenting kind of uh, energy use in, in kind of greener ways. It's around the specific targeting of an industry. It's like, is it, it's not a better way to put kind of a blanket tax on all right. energy use to kind of curtail demand and accomplish a specific purpose that way you're not targeting like you know uh bitcoin mining over christmas lights i mean who's to say which is which is more valuable and, and to me when you start to get into these political decisions uh as you know some bureaucrats deciding what's good use of energy and what's a bad use of energy you start to get into some real trouble you lose the credible neutrality of of the federal government but so I do think I, I stand with Bitcoiners on, on that side of things and proof of work uh, on that side of things. Although I'm still of the Ethereum mindset of like, guys, you don't have to be using proof right. of work, right? Like proof of stake it. is yeah. kind of better. So uh, there's an element where I'm, I'm not going to fight it too hard personally. One um, thing I, I am looking forward to is you know, the Bitcoiner narrative is that Bitcoin consumes green energy. And it doesn't get enough credit for all of the green energy that it consumes. Right. And like, I have a hard time understanding if that is like a classic Bitcoiner narrative that like kind of just like chant the chant about, or if that's actually backed up by data. And so I'm, I'm a fan of this topic surfacing because I would love some clarity on that from more people, both inside the Bitcoin camp, that's not just the cyber hornets that attack me on Twitter, um, <laughs> and also outside of the Bitcoin camp from like more people that like don't have a dog in the fight. Um, although I'm not saying the White House will necessarily be biased. I'm just saying I would love clarity on the statement, Is Bitcoin, does Bitcoin mining incentivize green energy? I used to be a fan of that argument. I'm, I'm becoming less and less of a fan of that argument as time goes on. Yeah, I, I agree. And if you can eliminate it, it entirely, yeah. it's, it's hard to see how that is not right. better yes, for that is the, green, the environmental impact. The greenest impact. thing to do is to just not consume energy, but Bitcoiners will take offense to that. Meanwhile, Michael Saylor doesn't care he is buying more Bitcoin. MicroStrategy files Doesn't to sell he have up taxes to taxes to pay. I think so. MicroStrategy files to sell up to five hundred million of stock to fund more Bitcoin purchases. Wow, that is insane, dude. It's definitely ballsy. I, you got to give him credit for that. This is like, or maybe you don't. Maybe you could. Maybe you could say it's like, uh, you know, um, fiduciarily irresponsible to investors in MicroStrategy. 
Uh, but it's certainly interesting. <laughs> I mean, I can't knock someone for being a permable, I guess. So <laughs> I, I still contend, David, that this will play out. This will play out for him. Yeah. And this is going to lower his average, his <laughs> yes. cost basis by such yes. a big number. <laughs> well done. Buy and lower. I guess. I mean, 500 million of stock to fund more Bitcoin purchases. Right. Uh, absolutely incredible. Uh, this, uh, this is an interesting headline out of uh, Zero Hedge. Uh, China, back amongst the top 10 countries in Bitcoin usage, despite the Bitcoin ban. Uh, and so even though Bitcoin is banned in China, uh, it has uh, resumed its top 10 position, I believe, in number 10, number 10, as the country that uses Bitcoin the most. Uh, cool. You can't ban crypto. Cool. I mean, can't that's the crypto. takeaway, right? You can only ban your citizens from accessing crypto, and apparently not even that. Speaking of banning, um, the Tornado Cash saga continues. OFAC just updated their frequently asked questions, so I, oh, of thank course... God. I, of course, uh, read them. I wanted to get some of the highlights. We'll show that in a minute. But I've got good news for you, David. Yeah? You and I might not be going to jail. Oh, thank God. I was uh, worried. And here, here's the thing. So there was a... a Every time a, there's a knock on my door, I'm like, oh, sweet. Here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> there was something that happened, like, I was at four or five weeks ago. Right now, of course, uh, you know, Tornado was put... Smart contracts were put on the OFAC sanction list. Uh, and then somebody dusted a whole bunch of public influential... ETH addresses, including right. Jimmy Fallon, Steve Aoki, Logan Paul, all the exchange uh, CEOs, Brian Armstrong, Vitalik, you, me, the rest. Bankless.eth. And what Ryan means by dusted is that somebody sent 0.1 Ether to all of these addresses from the Tornado ca Cash contract, making them in violation of the OFAC rule. Exactly. And without our consent, very yes. clearly. Be, be like somebody, if, if somebody sent a... a you know, an envelope Robbed a to your bank help. and then deposited that money into your account. Yeah, exactly. Or if they, if they sent, exactly. They robbed a bank and deposited money into your account. Uh, and then um, are you a criminal or not? Right. That's, right. that's a question. And of course, you and I think that would be absolutely ludicrous right. for Treasury and for OFAC to take that posture. Well, although I'm totally willing for people to rob banks and them to put that money in my account. <laughs> I'm totally down for that. <laughs> you should not say that on a podcaster. <laughs> um, this is... A FAQ, OFAC uh -huh. trying to clear this up. Do OFAC reporting obligations apply to dusting transactions? The issue that you and I just mentioned. And it starts by saying OFAC is aware of these things. And I'll read the statement here. Technically, OFAC's regulation would apply to these transactions. Okay, so if somebody robs a bank, deposits it into your bank account, it's your problem, David. Your problem. Somebody uh, takes from Tornado Cash and sends it to your ETH address without your consent, without even your knowledge, it is your problem technically. That's what OFAC's position is. To the extent, however, these dusting transactions have no other sanctions nexus besides Tornado Cash, OFAC will not prioritize enforcement against delayed receipt of initial blocking reports and subsequent annual reports of blocked property from such U.S. persons. Okay? What they're saying here is technically... It's a crime, okay? But we're going to lower the priority through which we prosecute this, pri this so crime. So we're at the end of the list is what, what? you're telling me. <laughs> That's what they're saying. And it is asking as well. I think the reading of this is they somehow want anyone who received some dust to file a report with OFAC. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. Absolutely. It's an absolutely, I'm not do that. it's an absolutely unbelievable 
um, position to take. Um, here are some, some more of the, the frequently asked questions. One was, um, what is prohibited as a result of OFAC's designation of tornado cash? And OFAC has clarified that if you're a U.S. citizen and you do anything with tornado cash, you are uh, prohibited from doing that as a result of OFAC. And then they that's, make this that's, statement. That's not new, though. Yeah, oh, that's okay. not new, but they're clarifying this. But I found this uh, funny. The tornado cash website has been deleted from the internet. What a statement. They said that out loud. <laughs> but it currently remains available <laughs> through certain internet archives. So uh, don't worry, guys. The Tornado Cash we website removed, has been the powers that be deleted from, it the from the internet. Do not look at the man behind the curtain. Oh my God. It's that crazy the audacity. To me. Yeah. It's We've, just, you didn't it, delete it from Ethereum, bro. You can't delete the Tornado Cash website from the internet either. Do, do you remember? God. Uh, there was a Beyonce did a super the Super Bowl halftime show one year. I don't know. This is like I don't know, uh-huh. five, seven years ago or something like this. And there was like this terrible picture of her that was posted where she was in yes. this really awkward yes. dance uh-huh. position. And like after the fact, her PR team, her crew was trying their utmost to like delete Beyonce's picture from the internet. That is a fool, fool's errand. You can't, you can't delete things that. from the internet. That's not that. how this stuff works. It's the Streisand effect. Anyway, that's some of the language coming through from, from OFACT. So, um, you know, clearly there will be uh, court cases about this and we'll have to get some clarity in the court system because these are not tenable. These are not reasonable positions um, to, to say that if you get a dusted transaction, yeah, you're still doing something illegal. We're just going to put you at the end of the list in right. priority and like we'll talk to you later yeah like we could still come after you at any time just you're not right. going to be at the top of the list like what is right. that how is right. how is how is that tenable in a you know didn't, free and open didn't society? matthew green restore the tornado cash contracts to a to a new version of uh, on github he did now I, i'm gonna go did, download those and put them on my wall well, behind they me. did say that that is actually legal so that was another faq so it's not deleted from the internet they were talking about the user front end, by the way. They were not talking about the actual code. They did understand that much. They were talking did about they? the website in itself. That? Yes. Oh, it's, okay. It specifies that. So, A website has since been deleted. The Tornado Cash website, yes. Oh, um, okay. But of course, I'm, that can be hosted on IPFS. That could be like, right. there's, you can't really delete the website. Um, but yes, they did clarify that if a U.S. citizen copies and pastes, um, you know, and it hosts hosts uh, the tornado cash code in a gitcoin repository somewhere that is not illegal according okay. to them well uh, i was going to put it on my wall anyways regardless of whether <laughs> that, it was that legal would be or fine not. that was always allowed apparently <laughs> that was always allowed <laughs> um speaking of, of things where people are actually getting in trouble for doing illegal things uh do Kwan, uh now has an arrest warrant uh, for his arrest in South Korea. So a court in Seoul issued a warrant for Do Kwon and five others uh, allegating that they violated the nation's capital markets law, which I don't know what that means. Sounds very broad. But yeah, I bet there's something in there where like if you are responsible for imploding $50 billion of capital that you probably broke some law somewhere. Uh, and so, yeah, there is a, a warrant out for his arrest. Uh, uh, Do Kwon has said that he plans to cooperate when the time comes. And he said that in this uh, crypto interview media startup Coinage, when he uh, that floated the prospect of uh, jail time to Do Kwon, And Do Kwon finished saying, life is long, meaning that like, wow. I got a lot, a lot of life to li- live. So I might as well just like go to jail and pay this time and just go through it. 
Okay. Uh, it's incredibly stoic. We'll uh, yeah. we'll have to see where that that ends up. And not only Do Kwan, it was five others. Five others too. Involved yeah, involved in mm-hmm. the company with Do Kwan. So um, that's happening. And meanwhile, the the SEC in the U.S. is setting up a new office where you can come in, tell them about your crypto project. This is going to be called the Office of Crypto Assets. So the statement here from the SEC is, as a result of recent growth in the crypto assets and the life sciences industries, we saw a need to provide greater and more specialized support. The SEC is coming up with an office, apparently, where you can go and and talk to them. I have yet to hear of a case where that's actually been useful for a real-world crypto project that is trying to get some clarity on the asset class and and their position with respect to the asset class. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of a... And speak of untenable positions, it seems like an untenable position for the SEC to want to take leadership in crypto in the U.S. and like not provide any framework where it's legal or any clarity where we can do these kinds of things in a legal way. They're taking a very hostile approach while also saying that they want to be like the the place where you can come in and, and have a nice conversation with them. I mean, these things very much seem at odds. So until they fix that, I'm not sure that this will provide a lot of clarity or use for people building things in the real world in crypto. Yeah, I, I want to make fun out of this because that's usually my default response. But they, they do say that as a result of the recent growth in crypto, uh, we, need, we saw a need to provide greater and more specialized support. More specialized support is what we have been asking for. So like, I can't knock that. Like, keep going down that path but like still call me skeptical, right? Like I wouldn't want to be the first or second or third organization to walk in through that office. I'm just kind of getting like Dolores Umbridge vibes. Like when you, <laughs> when you walk in, yeah, step into my <laughs> office and then like you're Harry Potter and you're like writing scars into your hands. Like I will not issue a legal security yeah, or something. Look, there's an element to that. And just to contrast that with another uh U.S. executive branch agency, the CFTC, which has been much more welcoming to the crypto agency and kind of like talking about what uh, is possible rather than all the things you cannot do and providing a much more clarity in in the field of commodities. So um, that's that's a good contrast point. Mm -hmm. Um, But Coinbase is starting to fight back even more. Uh, This was a really cool move. Starting today from Brian Armstrong, Coinbase will begin integrating our crypto policy efforts right into our app. These will help. <laughs> so our, Chad, I know these will help our 103 million verified users get educated on crypto positions held by political leaders where they live. And this is Brian showing a video of what the app looks like, and you can uh-huh. actually see, like, here is uh, a Democrat from District Nine, New York City, and her crypto sentiment is uh, positive. You can see uh, Caroline Maloney, a Democrat, New York District 12. Her crypto uh, sentiment is negative. It displays all of these things inside of the app so that the 103 crypto users of Coinbase can actually see where their politicians stand on this. And the idea is, I think Brian was pretty explicit. Um, For instance, US users can see crypto sentiment scores for members of Congress, he says. And then he says, over time, we want to help pro-crypto candidates solicit donations from the crypto community. He's being very explicit about this. Um, Why are we doing this? Because this will drum up donations from a base who wants the ability and right to own crypto in their jurisdiction, does not want unfair laws and legislation against crypto. This is so awesome. 
Like the, he, like Brian and Coinbase is just building piping of crypto money into crypto positive legislations in an easy to use app. Uh, my God, is that going to move the needle so much? <laughs> like, and, and so like, it, it, imagine being a senator and you're like, you're seeing this like rating app of your, of your, like how loving you are to this particular industry that is so like where crypto is so important to them that they're putting it in the main crypto app, the Coinbase app. I know. Right. It's built into the, the most consumer friendly app of all time. Just like, does this person support or not David, support crypto? All it's missing, and I don't know the legality of doing this, but all it's missing is a button that says donate, donate to this politician. Yes. Look at yes. Richie Tory's uh, Democrat New York District 15 is very supportive. Nice button there. Imagine. Donate. 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 donate, donate. Now. Like Coinbase already has all of your KYC information, so they could just pass that along because you need to do that if you're going to donate to somebody. Yeah. Like the, the, the infrastructure is already there. Uh, and I was, was talking about this, I can't remember where, on some podcast live stream. I've been on a bajillion live streams in the last like four days. Um, crypto has the two things, and we've talked about this before on Bankless, has the two things that legislators want and need the most. Single issue, highly motivated voters and money. And Coinbase is the host of a 104 million people who have money and care about crypto. Uh, and now they're being piped in directly to like these congressmen and women. I expect this to be such a huge help to the industry at large. Coinbase, Brian. Yeah, well, well done. done. This is well huge. Done. This is, uh, yeah, b big supporters of this. This is Coinbase uh, showing up, I think, for crypto and DeFi in a way that we need most. And if you don't think we need this, I would encourage you to go back and listen to what we just said about OFAC and Tornado Cash. Right. right. David and I received a, a dusting transaction and OFAC says, we did something illegal. Yeah, we're criminals. That's what they said in their FAQ. I mean, that's just not tenable. And the only way we have to fight against this is money and votes. And that's what that's what Coinbase is, is hoping to, to provide the crypto communities, the, the knowledge to allocate that money and those votes to the right places so we can push back on some of these unelected bureaucrats saying we don't have the right to on-chain privacy. Uh, so yeah, big, big plus one on that. David, what are we looking at here? Yeah, this is a website that I wish was around in 2017. It's called token.unlocks.app. And it's basically uh, just being a reporting service for token unlocks. So that is like angel seed investors, like or like seed rounds, like series A, series B. Token supplies are locked because of like inve like vesting schedules, right? So if you're an early investor, you get your token locked up so that it can start to trade on the secondary market and that thing doesn't go to zero because all the early investors who got it for very cheap are locked up for a certain amount of time. Uh, and so this website is just like aggregating all of that information of how much of the token supply is locked, what are the next supply unlocks, what is that date, how much is getting unlocked, what's the circulating supply, what's the uh, fully diluted valuation. Uh, and so if you are worried about, a, if you are, if, you should just like include this in your basic due diligence anytime you're ever going to buy a token. So like usually if I'm going to buy a token, I start on CoinGecko and I start to look at some of that data. But I think I would now go here next because I would then want to find out what is the what is the unlock schedule like? Is this thing like ninety percent liquid or ninety percent locked? And if it's ninety percent locked, like when's the next unlock coming? Who's gonna dump on me? This is basically like it's the token website. Of course, I'm gonna repeat it. Token.unlocks.app could also be renamed. Are people gonna dump on me? <laughs> yes. And so you can go check on like if people are going to go dump on you or not. Yeah, it's great to see this transparent 
see coming to crypto. And I think it's something that uh, I've not seen in stocks. So it's, yes. it's kind of neat yeah, to, to see this good in crypto. Um, it's yeah. single dashboard. We can view all of this. Uh, this is some news coming out of Abra, which is a crypto bank based in the US. They say, today we are announcing the formation of Abra Bank, and the launch of Abra Boost, which is Abra's new staking and yield offering. And so this is Abra actually becoming a US state chartered bank, which is a full bank, not a trust, in the digital asset space, giving them the ability to do trading, custody, investing, NFTs, credit cards, and more. And here's the justification according to their CEO. Uh, Abra intends to be the premier Web3 and crypto bank in the world. While we believe in the ethos of not your keys, not your coins, we recognize that consumers and institu institutions need help navigating crypto. Enter Abra Bank. This to me, I think, is a narrative that we'll see. There have been some banks that survived 2022, some crypto banks, right? And they did things because they were you know, much more... Uh, prudent, much less risk-seeking than the Celsiuses of the world, didn't make mistakes like BlockFi. And I do think we're going to see a, a resurgence of crypto banks. And the resurgence, I, I'm hopeful, David, that these crypto banks will have learned their lesson from 2022, become much more transparent, become much more DeFi-friendly. Uh, and I do think that there is a role for them to play as a risk. Not everyone can go completely bankless uh, from day one. And so uh, we need sort of a, you know, a bridge at, at times in the meanwhile. So I'll be monitoring the progress of, of Abra and what they're doing there and like crypto banks in general. Yeah, with the power of crypto, new banks can just be better than the old banks. And it's as simple as that. Moving into the world of Binance Chain. Ryan, did you know Binance Chain is actually doing ZK rollups? Yes. Crazy. <laughs> so Binance crazy. Chain announces the testnet launches of ZK BNB, the first ZK rollup uh, on the Binance Smart Chain. Uh, so ZK tech is not easy. Uh, and so like there must be a pretty good team behind this too. And of course, Binance Chain has the second most, second largest DeFi ecosystem after Ethereum, uh, and they're generating a decent amount of fees. So it actually makes sense that a ZK rollup would eventually come to Binance Chain. Uh, so Binance Chain becoming modular. ZK cool. technology is cool. definitely not just uh, for Ethereum. Uh, it's for mm -hmm. any kind of modular, modular blockchain. Now, yeah. the weird thing about deploying this on Binance is because you'd think you'd want a fully decentralized settlement layer in order to scale, scale your layer. Well, two. you would think you would want that in the first place. I think we're already, that ship has already <laughs> that sailed. That ship has already sailed. We'll watch <laughs> to see what emerges there. Uh, yeah. A new wallet, a bankless custody style wallet, self custody wallet called Plasma Wallet has just arrived. I've not tested this myself, but it um, looks polished. It does look polished. Um, in fact, I, I think I saw uh, an image of the bankless podcast in one of these screenshots. You see that, David? Oh, wait, really? Yeah. We'll spin this around wait here. For, Did I see that? Back. Is that us? Weekly oh, roll-up. Wow. There it Holy is. Holy shit. <laughs> Gotta that was like the it. last week's merge. <laughs> we, I mean, or, or weekly roll-up. We That's have crazy. not tried this. I love this wallet. Yeah. <laughs> we have not tried this. I don't know too much about their team, to be honest. Um, but uh, if you are on the frontier and want to try a new non-custodial wallet, go check it out at plasma-wallet.com. Let us know what you think. And uh, it's great to see more innovation in the space. And lastly, the Opera browser is now supporting MetaMask and other third-party wallets. And so if that has been the blocker for you to use Opera uh, because Opera didn't support MetaMask, well, that blocker is gone. You can now support MetaMask inside of Opera. 
And moving into the raises this week, Doodles coming in at a massive $704 million valuation wow. after raising $54 million. Does that feel like a bear market valuation to you, David? Does not feel like a for bear an market NFT valuation. Project. Al almost a billion dollar valuation coming in from uh, Alexis Ohanian's 776 FTX Ventures and a few others as well. Uh, I'm not sure how I would feel as an NFT owner if the centralized team raises money. I might feel like I'm the product here, but to some degree, like that's kind of what people might want if that's their vibe. Um, this is kind of the board apes model, right? Versus like, well, yeah, definitely like the board apes model. Yeah, there's a place uh, for it. These valuations yeah. though are absolutely insane. I'm not sure what they're based on. Um, right. Hopefully, these investors know what they're doing here, and uh, good luck to the Doodles team. And the other raise of the week, Koopa Troopa announces Coop Records fund number one, uh, Cooper Turley, uh, raising $10 million early stage fund, investing in the next generation of music and music NFTs. Cooper, of course, is known as the music NFT guy. Uh, and actually this last week, Ryan, during all of the merge hype, during all of the other live streams and podcasts that I did, managed to get Cooper on the show oh, for really? a 20 minute episode as to what is what are music NFTs. And I think the crypto community, the, the, the crypto Twitter community has always been like kind of teasing Cooper is like, why would I buy a music <laughs> NFT? Yes. Like, what does it do for me? Yes. And his answer has always been a collectible. Yeah. But he gave me a line that I actually really liked, which was, don't overthink it. You need 25 people to buy a music NFT at 0.1 ETH to equal a million downloads on Spotify. So music NFTs don't need to be much. It's just the 100 super it's fans. 100 super fans that need to buy your music NFT. You can think about utility later. You can think about access later. But like how squeezed the margins are for artists is so bad that Cooper's answer is you just need 25 people to buy your music NFT to generate an equivalent amount of money for the artist as a million dollar or million downloads on Spotify. Good, good so luck to he, I got, I got music cool. NFT pilled. Did and so really? congratulations That's... to Cooper. I'm really optimistic to see this guy's, this guy's future. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's definitely been doing a lot in this space. Um, I guess mm -hmm. maybe that's advice. Don't overthink it. The $700 million uh, doodles valuation. Don't overthink it, David. Maybe it <laughs> <Yeah>. makes sense. <laughs> uh, bankless jobs. This is our weekly time to remind you that we're in a post-merge world. The first time we're talking about getting a job in crypto and Ethereum is 100% proof of stake at this point. Those things don't have anything to do with one another. I, to say. <laughs> I just wanted to say it one more time. Here are the jobs of the week. I'm going to read a few out on the Bankless Jobs Board. Molecule is hiring a head of engineering. Bankless needs a growth marketer. That's us. Bankless needs a growth marketer. It's non-technical and it's dope. Yes. Economia <laughs> needs a lead designer. Silent non-technical. Full stack smart contract engineer. Superform senior backend engineer. Bitgreen full stack engineer. Misari software engineers. They need two of them. Root needs a head of fundraising. I could go on. But you can find all of these jobs on the Bankless Job Boards. Bankless palette.com slash jobs sign up you'll get these in your inbox wow we got more coming up david what's in store next we got the takes of the week there are four of them and of course david and ryan get to talk about during merge week what we are bullish on <laughs> i wonder what that could possibly be uh but we're gonna get to all the takes and the week also some merge related takes and more as soon as we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that makes the show possible all right, guys, we are back with the takes of the week. Here's the first from FUBAR. Post-merge, the most important improvement that can be shipped, talking about Ethereum, isn't proto-dank sharding, though that's plenty useful. It's enabling withdrawals. 
because making it as easy as possible to withdraw from centralized custodial staking pools is critical to validator decentralization. I do think that enabling withdrawals is the next feature to come in the roadmap uh, anyway from a priority mm. perspective. But there is some element that we've that the uh, developers have talked about before where they would combine withdrawals and and proto dank sharding together in the same hard fork. And I think Fubar is kind of making the case like, don't do that, not if it costs us time, right. because what we need right now is to enable withdrawals. And he's making the case uh, for decentralization purposes. That's the reason we need to uh, enable withdrawals. What do you think? Yeah, and just to elaborate on this, it, it, it deposits into Coinbase, deposits into Lido. When they stake these, this Ether for you, it's fixed because there aren't withdrawals. So all Ether in Lido is stuck there. Uh, and so if, the, if we have centralization concerns like Coinbase or Lido has too much ETH, we need to enable withdrawals so we can get that to be jumbled up and mixed around with the other staking as a service providers. Um, I, I don't, I mean, I'm not, a tech, I'm not a developer, but I don't think the withdrawal hard fork is all that complicated. So I could definitely be an, in support of like uh, expediting this, uh, this update. Yeah, for sure. Same, same here. We'll we'll see how that evolves. I think the core devs are taking a much needed break yes, for a yeah, little bit. So. Let, let them have a margarita, and then we will <laughs> pester them about when weeks, withdrawals. Okay, yeah. Yeah. we can't ask for withdrawals right away. Yeah. Not this week, anyway. And this is a take from you, David. The Ethereum never ships narrative, in quote, is dead. It's you dead. say skull crossbones. Why is that dead? So this has been the narrative that Ethereum just is like a bunch of vaporware and never is never going to ship proof of stake. It's never going to ship scaling. It's never going to ship. It's never going to ship. And at this point, we've shipped proof of stake. We created and then shipped EIP-1559 inside of that time. We have scaling on layer twos. The only thing left is data sharding. And it's like the less complicated update in comparison to the merge. And so... The Ethereum never doesn't ship narrative is now dead. And so if you are the person who is claiming that Ethereum doesn't ship stuff, of which there are plenty of these people, like the onus is on you to prove that that update that's coming of whatever we're going to talk about isn't coming. Like it's no longer on the responsibilities of like the Ethereum community or Ethereum developers to convince you that Ethereum ships. We've now proven it out on the, in the biggest of ways. So the Ethereum never ships narrative is dead. I think a bun bunch of uh, narratives have been kind of slayed yes. uh, as a result of the merge. In fact, we did an episode earlier this week with Justin Drake on 15 bad takes right. that you should you should definitely listen to. I think the merge kind of... Uh, One of them's already done, which I is know. the merge will never ship. It sticks a fork in a lot of those, yeah. in a lot of those takes for sure. Um, this is my take. Do you want to read this out? Yeah, sure. Ryan Sean Adams says, with a shedding of proof-of-work Ethereum is fully charting its own course, inspired by, yet distinct from, Bitcoin. From here on out, Ethereum is no longer living in Bitcoin's shadow. Little brother is all grown up. Ryan, what do you mean by this? I think that for all of Ethereum's life, it's been somewhat living in the shadow of Bitcoin. It's been kind of the, the little brother. All of the attention is on elder brother Bitcoin, who's off going to college and mm -hmm. he's, you know, the football quarterback, the captain, like, you know, everyone cares about uh, big brother and little brother has been kind of living in big brother's shadow and right. somewhat like copying some of the moves of big brother. Yeah. Um, more and more, Ethereum has kind of diverged from the Bitcoin roadmap. Of course, at Genesis, the big divergence was expressive smart contracts on the base layer. That certainly has been true. 
And, um, you know, now with the merge, I think it's, it's fully charting its own course. Uh, the origination of, of Ethereum at the time, the best technology available for a consensus layer was proof of work. Uh, it's no longer the case. And so Ethereum had to copy Bitcoin in the early days, but now it's clearly charting its own course. And I do think this opens up an opportunity, David, for Ethereum to take kind of a, the main flagship role, right? Always much respect to the older brother who's gotten us this for, far, but it's time for Ethereum to kind of live its own life and do its own thing. And I think the world needs Ethereum to take center stage in this whole crypto movement as well. And um, I, I, I see this merge as kind of a, a milestone and a key uh, point at which the trajectory changes and the industry's focus is more slanted on uh, Ethereum moving forward versus Bitcoin. I don't know if everyone sees that, but that was certainly my takeaway from uh, from the merge events, and maybe it'll be seen that way historically as well. Absolutely, this is a, a very different way to express my ETH BTC trade. <laughs> <laughs> little brother, yeah. little brother's gonna uh, all grow up, yeah, stronger. No, and... Yeah, Ethereum finally decoupling from his bigger brother. Yeah, yes. <laughs> personified take. This there. is my favorite tw tw uh, take that we've ever put on the weekly rollup. I think. <laughs> what? Yeah, Vitalik. Dot ETH, Vitalik Buterin says, normalize saying dub instead of W as the name of the letter W. <laughs> he, he follows and says, all letters deserve a one-syllable name. Wow. So Vitalik is saying we should change, we should, we should fork the English language and we should merge in a new pronunciation of the letter W Just and dub? we should change it to dub, which I am a huge fan of. That is a great take. Why? Okay, so all of the other letters in the alphabet are one syllable. Is that correct? A, it's something B, I've never C, thought D, of. E, F, G. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay, but then we have this W that just sticks out like a, like a sword. Yeah, you have thumb. U. And you have W. Like, how do you think <laughs> W feels in comparison to U? It it's like, oh, I'm dub. just like two of U's. Like, no, I'm dub. Okay, but I don't know if that flows as well in the song. Because, like, we need two D syllables. U, V, W, w. We X, need three Y, Z. Syllables. That's fine. That's dub, fine. X, Y, Z? Dub, X, Y, Z? Yeah, that's fine. That flows. <sighs> dub, flows. X, Y, Z. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I uh, support this Vitalik take, David. How old is your youngest kid? 11. She's 11 right now. Okay. Yeah. Too late. Too late to indoctrinate her with new ABCs. Okay. Yeah. I think it's past for this generation. You have yeah. to like start from scratch. Yeah. I don't okay. know. Um, right. Yeah. My parents will never go for this, David. Yeah. <laughs> what are you bullish on this week, man? I know I'm, the answer, but tell me anyway. I'm bullish on what I feel like is the next era of crypto. It, it really feels like that was Ethereum proof of work is like Ethereum beta. I know, I know we kind of tease Solana for being a beta mainnet. Uh, but like if, if they can call themselves beta, I'll call Ethereum proof of work beta. Uh, and now like Ethereum proof of stake, layer twos, uh, sharding soon TM. Uh, like it really, and, but that proof of stake thing is so critical that this really feels like the way that Ethereum has always been meant to express when it was envisioned back in 2014. Uh, and so with, with proof of work, with like the dark cloud of proof of work energy consumption and supply, over, uh, supply cell pressure, it really feels like we're in a new paradigm of crypto, not just for Ethereum, but you know we all know that like crypto as an industry trades like alongside Bitcoin. Well, that's because Bitcoin's proof of work, Ethereum has been proof of work up until now, and so the, it has been a proof of work paradigm ever since. Ethereum is currently one half of Bitcoin's market cap, and that that magnitude of market cap is now proof of stake. 
Uh, and so this part of crypto, the decentralized finance part, is under a new paradigm. It's a new era of crypto. Uh, and so it really just feels like a zero to one moment for the crypto industry. And it's going to take time for that to like show up in market prices and show up in activity. But like this is what this is the version of crypto that I've been waiting for and been here for for years now. And it's finally arrived. So Ryan, I'm bullish on a turning of the page for the industry. I, I really like that. And, and you know, I uh, jotted down as I was listening, some of um, Vitalik's first comments in the post-merge. Somebody asked him on the call post-merge and he said this about the merge. I think Hudson Jameson asked him, hey, how are you feeling? Like, what, what does this mean? He said this, to me, the merge symbolizes the difference between early stage Ethereum and the Ethereum we've always wanted, mm -hmm. right? That's the kind of that shift, a new era, a different, uh, a new change. Um, so yeah, that resonates with me as well. Ryan, what are you bullish on? Is it um, similar? You know, this is, I, I guess I could say similar, right? It's yeah. just definitely uh, kind of merch related, but let me, um, let me zoom out and talk about this in the context of my own personal uh, crypto journey and maybe like the bankless journey as well, because those things are, are kind of intertwined. I feel like we have just closed a major uh, chapter, David, for Ethereum, as you just said, the end of an era and the entrance of a new era. Um, also for bankless at some level, also mm. for me, my own personal thesis. Do you know, um, you and I, many others in the Ethereum community, were very early chanters of this meme that we started in you know, 2018, ETH is money, ETH is right. money. Let's talk about this asset for its monetary properties. And the reason that was so important to us was not number go up. It was because we saw this fundamental link between the value of Ether and the economic security of these of the network. And those things could not be severed, right? And it didn't make those sense to, to think about a valueless ETH, right? It was all kind of one unified theory of the world, right? And so um, we were chanting this and had been um, chanting it at nauseum for the last few years. And that kind of evolved into like ultrasound money and the monetary premium properties of ETH. Do you know what, David? I feel like I don't have to say it anymore. No. I feel like- It's a like, part of the DNA. Just, I'm a miner, man. Now my watch has ended too. Yeah, I don't yeah. have to say it anymore. It's not, I am going to talk about it. I am going to say it from time to time. ETH is money, ETH is ultrasound money. But you know, from here on out, there's no more pushing that we have to do. It's just mm -hmm. going to freaking happen. Why? Go to ultrasound.money. Just go to that website. You'll just see it happening. Like there's one of the nothing, best websites in crypto. There's nothing the social layer has to do to make this happen anymore. It's now, it's going to happen on its own. And as the economics become more obvious, more people will accept the fact that Ether is an internet bond. Ether is a store of value that's not issued by a, a nation state, but it's issued by uh, an internet protocol. Like the entire thesis, all the stuff we've been talking about. And at some level, David, this is why we started Bankless, because this story hadn't been told very well. The story of DeFi, the story of going bankless, the story of ETH is money and, and the value that this network could bring. Now I just feel like it's 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 done. It's like my watch has ended. So I think moving forward, you and I don't have to actually focus as much on getting the story out as of ETH is money. Of course, we're going to. Of course, it's going to be important. But this is also entering uh, another chapter. And it's just going to happen with us or without us, with the community support or without the community's support because it's now it's fully baked into the algorithm itself. Right, yeah, the, the values have been indoctrinated, instantiated in the actual code. And once it's there, it's really hard to get it out. 
Uh, and that's, that's been the whole purpose ever since. And so I think that really just like begs the question. It's like, all right, then what's next? What's the next thing to talk about? Are we about? done? Is Bankless yeah. done? <laughs> well, no, I, I think there's plenty left to talk about. And one of the, the ways I've always described Ethereum versus Bitcoin is that Bitcoin, the blockchain, is meant to serve BTC, the asset. Like all the surrounding infrastructure is meant to do one thing, which is preserve the 21 million hard cap of Bitcoin. Ethereum is the inverse of that, where Ether, the currency, is actually just meant to support Ethereum, the economy. And we know that Ethereum, the economy, doesn't only exist on the Ethereum layer one now. Like it's the economy's escaped and it's got it's escaped into the layer twos. And so now I think the story to be told it's like Ethereum's roll-up centric roadmap. We see this story manifesting itself with Arbitrum Nova and it, it, uh, uh, Ethereum finding its way into Reddit, right? That's what Arbitrum Nova is, is the Ethereum escaping out of the layer one and building a chain that's specific for Reddit. And that's the Ethereum roll-up centric roadmap. And so I think this next era of, it, of Ethereum is now that Ethereum has taken care of itself, it's gotten its security properties and its monetary properties on lock and like that thing is... T you know, tie a bow on that and like that's the way that it's, it's good to go. The rest is building roll-ups, layer twos and layer threes, custom fit for different corners of the internet and putting economies and money and bankless tools in all corners of the internet. And I think that's the final frontier of Ethereum now that we are post-merge. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think some of our content will uh, will begin to reflect that. We still got a few more episodes, of course, on the merge mm -hmm. uh, coming up. But um, yeah, I'm super excited to to enter into like the second chapter of not only Ethereum, but also uh, Bankless mm -hmm. and start to explore these these brave new frontiers. David, we've got a meme of the week. What are we looking at right now? We are looking at the this meme of the uh, crying TikTok dancer girl. So she is, for some reason, bawling her eyes out while doing a TikTok dance. Uh, and the caption is, miners staking their ETH post-merge. Uh, and so if you are a miner who's collected that ETH and you are now staking it, yeah, you might be sad that your mining business is gone. But hey, at least you're staking ETH. And that's why this crying TikTok girl is doing the TikTok dance. She's still dancing. She's even still with dancing. tears in her eyes. She's still dancing, not giving up. <laughs> Guys, as always, got to end with risks and disclaimers. Of course, Ether is risky, so is Bitcoin, so is all of crypto. You could definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. There are new frontiers unfolding. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.